You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Fine ham abounds, Mom. This is the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. We're going to head out to the East Coast, all the way to New Brunswick, and uh, get a somewhat of a preview of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League season. I know things have uh, just gotten underway, but uh, we've been so focused on the WHL that uh, we want to get caught up on uh, everything in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And uh, my insider today is uh, our good friend, Mike Sanderson. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show. Mike, how are you? Always my pleasure. It's a little rainy today, but it's not too bad. We had a really hot weekend, so um, certainly for those who may not be used to those September hockey starts, but uh, the weather it's going to get cold soon. Yeah, well, yeah, winter will be upon us. And you guys always get more, more snow than we do. The Maritimes always seem to – I was born out there, and I remember as a little kid we used to have like four or five-foot snow banks. Is it still like that, or has the climate changed a little bit uh, since then? Oh, it's been even more. The last couple of winters, we've had uh, nine and twelve foot high snow banks in certain spots. So uh, wow. they certainly don't miss us with the snow. That's for sure. <laughs> all right, let's get right to it because uh, I don't want to take up uh, all your time. Um, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is underway, and uh, any any early season surprises uh, thus far? I know a lot of teams might still have players away at NHL camps, so maybe we're not seeing the final rosters across the league right now. But after uh, the opening weekend, anything jump out at you? Um, not anything all that surprising. Um, the fact that all teams but four have a win, I think, is really encouraging for the league. And uh, I think that if you looked at the league on the way coming in, there isn't really a massive favorite this year uh, to enter into the league. It's a lot more wide open than it has been the last couple of seasons, which has really uh, helped out the league in terms of parity. Um, there isn't too many surprises that really jump off the page in terms of uh, – in terms of the standings, in terms of performances, there have been three hat tricks in the opening weekend, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but other than that, uh, there there isn't anything all that surprising or noteworthy. You, you mentioned four teams without a win. That would be Victoriaville, Drummondville, Halifax, and Acadie Bathurst. There's also four teams without a loss. Uh, that would be uh, Sherbrooke, Cape Breton, Quebec, and St. John, all perfect uh, 2-0 and records to, to begin the season. The name change in Cape Breton, uh, no longer the Screaming Eagles, just the Eagles. Uh, any insight into that? Is that a big deal, or is, uh, why why shorten the name? I think uh, the new ownership and the new ownership group that took over, uh, Mr. Irwin Simon and uh, his group, I think they really wanted to make a stamp and a change of direction uh, for the Cape Breton uh, Eagles. Now Eagles, I almost said it, but I didn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but when you talk about uh, the team in Cape Breton, they haven't been able to do a whole lot in particular in the playoffs over the last few years, and there's in the market, there's a lot of unrest. It's a lot like how Charlottetown was before Jim Holton uh, made his debut there, where, you know, in the market, there was a lot of unrest. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of groundswell of uh, fans who were frustrated with the fact that, you know, whether the team is good or the team is bad, they weren't getting results. And, you know, you bring in a new ownership group, kind of change the look a little bit, kind of change the, uh, the, the mindset of the team, kind of change the look of it. And uh, that includes new, a new logo. The uniform hasn't changed a whole lot, but, a new logo can kind of change the mindset as well. And you look at this Cape Breton Eagle team, and they look pretty well set up to make a decent run this year. They got a new coach, and uh, they've got uh, a lot of the depth that we've seen them have uh, over the last couple of years. But it could prove fruitful for them this year. How many teams did have uh, a coaching change uh, from uh, last season, Mike? Uh, I've got three, so that includes Cape Breton. Uh, Jake Grimes takes over there. He's from uh, the Ontario League, and he's been on Hockey Canada's radar. Uh, for the last couple of seasons, he's probably got the most pressure uh, out of all the uh, coaches that take over of the three, I guess, uh, just because Cape Breton 
the, the market is expecting something. You have new ownership that's really pumped some money into the team. It's been great to see. Uh, but they also have a lot of depth, as we've said, and Kevin made a least seeing goal. And uh, they've got a lot of forwards up front that can score. Uh, so we're going to see what Jake Grimes can put together. Of course, they've had a really good start starting off 2-0, and uh, scoring nine goals is really encouraging. Uh, we don't know enough about Jake Grimes to really identify how Cape Breton's going to play and how it will be different for Macandre Dumont, but uh, certainly uh, a guy on Hockey Canada's radar, a guy with Hockey Canada pedigree, uh, you, you can't deny that that kind of kudos and that kind of endorsement. So certainly uh, he's going to be put in a good position, and with new ownership, he's going to be put in a position to succeed. While there's big pressure, there's certainly a lot of support for him uh, in Cape Breton uh, to put the Eagles in a position where they can command some attention, win a round or two possibly, and see how far they can go. Uh, the other two new coaches, uh, you've got John Goyens and Bay Camo, uh, really the only Quebec opening that was available. And John Goyens is uh, a coach who's made a lot of waves in midget AAA in Quebec, uh, coaching at Lac Saint-Louis, the Lions, for the last 10 years. And let's just run down a list of a couple of players who he's coached in those last 10 years. Mike Matheson, who's now playing in Florida, Ryan Culkin, Will Carrier, uh, Anthony Duclair, Jonathan Drouin, Max Sportiano, Durando, Joe Valeno, all guys who came through the Lac Saint Louis system while he was coaching there. Uh, so certainly, you, you look at pedigree at the major AAA level. There aren't too many teams that consistently pumped out players like John Goyens did at Lac Saint Louis. And you can talk about his advantages of being on that team, which I suppose, in terms of midgets, probably a bigger a bigger market team. I guess would be the the comparative way to put it. But he was putting out five or six Q guys every year. So you know, you, you can't really deny his ability to develop talent because it's one thing to bring talent to midget AAA, but you've got to get them the right exposure. You've got to put them in the right position to succeed. And uh, clearly he was able to do that over the last 10 years. And for the last couple, he was in kind of the carousel of when would he end up coaching in the queue. I don't think it was an if, but it was a when for John Goyens. And this was the only Quebec opening that came up in, uh, in terms of in the province of Quebec. So um, it's a bit of a more difficult spot for him. It's not a ready-made position in Bay Como where they just, had a run that finished in disappointment, losing the first round last year. Uh, they really start their year zero of a rebuild this year. They've got some talent in their lineup, but I wouldn't expect it to stay there over the length of the year. Uh, so he's going to be in a spot where he's really got to woo players in. He's really got to put players in a position to succeed. But at the same time, he can kind of mold his own game uh, with the players and the and uh, the team that's coming in now with that Bay Camo team where they're going to be starting another build. Um, the last new coach is in Halifax. Uh, that's Jean-Jacques Daigneault is going to take over there. Uh, don't really know what to expect. you got to love his, his experience that he brings to the table. He's been an assistant coach uh, with a couple of different NHL teams, and uh, certainly he had an extensive uh, career in the National Hockey League. So uh, playing with a number of different coaches, coaching with a number of different coaches, his, his experience in terms of behind the bench and sitting on the bench and playing um, certainly brings uh, some encouraging notes, but he's never been a head coach before at any level. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. And you look at Halifax's setup, and it's not necessarily through a fault of their own, but this is their fifth coach in five seasons. Um, so if you look at their history, Don Ducharme went to Drummondville to stay, to be closer to home, and now he's in Montreal with the Canadians. Uh, Andre Touringy went to Ottawa to be closer to home, and now he's uh, with the 67s. You can't deny either of those, and certainly they're both great coaches. I think they expected Jim Midgley to stay longer than the one year he stayed there, and uh, Jim Midgley's a good coach. It just wasn't a fit that year. And then Eric Veille last year, where kind of a hired gun mercenary coach while you're hosting the Moral Cup, you need a guy with pedigree, you need a guy with experience, and certainly Eric Veille brought that to the table. Now you've got a fifth coach 
And for some of these players that are in there, you've got that fifth coach. You look at someone like Jockton Cheney, who retired before training camp opened. Um, this would have been his sixth coach in his junior career. So, uh, you know, that uncertainty, that inconsistency uh, isn't always the best on players because, of course, you've got one coach that want a player to play a certain way. You've got another one that may want him to play a different way. And after a while, sometimes you may have too many voices in your head in terms of uh, development of who you listen to and who you don't want to tune anybody out. But, you know, who's credible and who isn't. But, you know, bringing Jean-Jacques Daniel, and I think he wants to bring stability and through no fault, again, of Cam Russell or Bobby Smith. Um, I think they want stability in that position as well, while Halifax, uh, much like they come always, starting another build, and they've got some good young players in their lineup. So, uh, you know, those are the three new coaches, and I think all three of them are in positions where they can succeed, and it'll be interesting to see uh, how those teams respond. Mike Sanderson, my guest, longtime broadcaster in the queue, also writes for McKean's. Uh, Mike, uh, the defending uh, champions, not just in the queue, but defending Memorial Cup champs as, as well in uh, Roy Naranda. Mario Pula, are you a little bit surprised uh, that he didn't get an opportunity at, at the next level? And, and what are you expecting from that club in uh, in terms of a uh, title defense this year? Um, uh, in terms of Mario Pugliat, uh he's proven everything he needs to prove at the Q level. I mean, you look at the fact he's won a title with Bathurst. He's won two Memorial Cups now, uh, certainly with Bathurst and now with Rowan Aranda. Um, I think he's a guy who is somewhat content of being at the Q level, and I don't think it's not a desire to move forward, but, um, you know, I think he's happy where he is. I'm, I'm sure he received a couple of offers, but I think he's in a position where he can, he can kind of sit on the right one a little bit and, uh, and see what he can do. He's a little bit comfortable. Um, but in the case of the Huskies, uh, they need draft picks, and this is just the reality of being that strong a team last year and making some moves to pick up some players and shore up uh, the holes they had depth-wise. Um, if Noah Dobson comes back, they've got the number one player on the market, certainly, uh, in terms of being available for trade. They may already have the number one player available for trade, or at least in the top couple, and just now Belchardon as well, uh, defensively. So they'll look to trade a few players, recoups and draft picks. They don't have uh, anything above a fifth-round pick for the next three drafts. So mm. um, they're going to look to pick up some draft picks, and uh, they could be in a decent position at Christmas, um, either way, because the West, the Western Conference, much like last year, doesn't look all that strong, especially uh, on the top end. So in the case of the Huskies, they could be in a pretty good position uh, at Christmas, and maybe they decide to continue forward with it. But they cast off a lot of players from the Memorial Cup winning team, and uh, I think we'll see them continue that just to pick up and recoup some of the draft picks that are available. Zach Emma is their starting goalie. I don't think he's going to go undefeated this year like he did last year. <laughs> Um, but uh, I think he's a pretty solid option. There's a lot of good goalies in the queue this year. Mike, uh, at the start of this, you, you said there does, doesn't seem to be a, a clear-cut favorite uh, this year uh, in the queue, but is there sort of you know a, a group that's uh, uh, clearly above everybody else, maybe four or five teams, and, and at the opposite end of the spectrum, you, you mentioned it's going to be a, a bit of a, a rebuilding year for the Huskies, but anybody else that's going to be you know near the bottom that uh, you think is going to be in for a long season it might be just trading pieces away? I think uh, in terms of who's at the bottom, it could be a whole number and host of teams, and we'll get to that in a sec. But if you if you want to talk about what's at the top, I think two teams really identify themselves either through urgency or through talent as maybe the top couple of teams. You look at Shikudami. Shikudami is young. They've got a lot of good young players in their lineup, and William Dufault, Teodor Shet, Andrix Zapia, uh, three guys who potentially could all go in the first round this year. Uh, 
and their big assets that they could make a move to pick up players and kind of use them as leverage and trade them later uh, if they choose to be a contender this year. They've got three first-round picks, which is ammunition they can use to pick up more players. Uh, Alexi Shanks, an underrated goaltender, I think he's very good and will prove to have some very good dividends for them. Adding Raphael Harvey-Pienaard and the fact that he comes back uh, from Montreal, I think, is a bit of a surprise maybe, but uh, the new captain and uh, Shikurumi is going to be a huge add, and of course we know what he has wound up having seen him uh, with the Ruiner and the Huskies. And they also add uh, Ethan Crosman as well with Memorial Cup experience. So this is a very deep team. I think they need another minute eater or two on defense if they really want to go forward with it this year, but Shikurumi is definitely a team to watch. Uh, beside that, you've got a team with maybe the most urgency to make something happen, and that's Ramuski because they have Alexi Lafreniere this year and very likely only this year as he is uh, pretty much right now probably the consensus number one pick uh, in terms of the uh, NHL entry draft coming up in June. So they need to make it happen this year because a pretty good chance he'll be in the NHL next year. So um is not as deep as Shakutami is. They lost a few veterans. Uh, Colton Ellis is a great goaltender. Can he do it all himself as well? Um, defensively, they're going to be hurting a little bit, and they don't have the most assets to make it happen. But um, through desperation and aggressiveness, we can, we've can we seen contenders built before, and Fels Bosley has been around this block before uh, to put themselves in a position. I think they're the most desperate team to make something happen, uh, and we'll see what Ramuski does in order to take advantage of what should be likely Lafreniere's final year in the queue. Uh, beyond that, there's a group of a couple of teams. I think you put Moncton and Cape Breton in that group. Moncton in particular, if Jeremy McKenna and Jonathan Espido were coming back. I think Moncton looks even better. Um, but losing Jeremy McKenna, who's going to play in Stockton this year in the Calgary Flame system, he signed an ELC. And uh, Jonathan Espido signed a contract with the Binghamton Senators last week. Um, big losses for them in terms of what they hope to do uh, for contending. But uh, they're, they're, I would expect Moncton to be very aggressive this year. Uh, John Torchetti uh, wants to make an imprint in his first full season in the queue, once again returning here with the Moncton Wildcats. Getting Olivia Rodriguez draft uh, is a big sign that certainly they want to contend. And uh, even losing those two veterans, they still have Mika Sear and Alex Ivanov up front. It's likely, though, still not confirmed yet that Axel Anderson will make an appearance here in Moncton. Uh, I put that probably as more likely than not, though, again, uh, until they're in the until they're in the uniform in the lineup, you never really know. Um, but uh, losing those two veterans really does hurt their depth. Um, so I would expect them to be even more aggressive in terms of uh, acquiring players uh, to make themselves a bigger contender and go for it this year. Last year, I know when I polled the audience uh, who they expected to lead the queue in scoring, Alexi Lafreniere was the uh, the runaway uh, vote-getter for that. Ended up finished tied for second and six points back of the of Peter Abadonato, who uh, ended up leading the league in scoring. But is he the odds-on favorite to, to be that guy this year? Is this the year Lafreniere uh, leads the league in scoring? I think he's the odds-on favorite for just about any offensive award you can put together, be that <laughs> in the Q or be that in the CHL. I think, you know, last year he showed certainly what he can do, and the year before even in his rookie season he showed uh, what he can do. I think it's his, it's his position to lose for sure. He's not surrounded necessarily by as much talent as he was last year, but we've seen Alexi Lafreniere pull stuff out of his hat that we haven't seen a lot of prospects pull out in terms of offensive talent. And uh, defensively, I think this year you'll see him make another step forward as he wants to show that he's not just an offensive player, but the offensive skills are very impressive for Alexi Lafreniere. He, he'd be my favorite uh, for, like I said, any of those offensive awards. I think, uh, obviously, he's the guy that uh, is number one front and center in this league. 
I was having a conversation with somebody recently about the differences in buildings from what we have out here in the WHL to what's in the queue. And I know we've got a few NHL buildings here. And I know the Ramparts play in an NHL size building and Halifax is a big barn. What's that new rink in Moncton uh, like in terms of uh, seating capacity? And I know there's a, was it open at the start of last year or did it uh, open up shortly after the start of last year? No, it opened up, uh, I'm not quite sure exactly the date, but it was open for the uh, home opener okay. uh, for the Wildcats. They played the Sea Dogs, and I was doing that broadcast, and the uh, the opening ceremony, we had to cover about 55 minutes on our opening broadcast. Wow. So uh, we, we we did what we could with that. Thankfully, I had uh, Will McLaren, a, uh, a compatriot of mine, uh, on that broadcast, and we were able to fill it. But uh, it was uh, it's a very impressive building, certainly coming from the Moncton Coliseum, and I know, Gee, you've talked about it too, where... The lighting is uh, questionable at yeah. times in that building, watching it on the webcast. And uh, certainly it's it's a building of its time. It opened in 1972 and uh, very utilitarian, um, not many bells and whistles. Uh, so for moving from the Moncton Coliseum to the Avenue Center, it's just uh, a out-of-this-world eye-opening. I'm sure comparatively uh, moving from, from Rexall or Northlands or whatever it's called now to uh, Rogers Place downtown in Edmonton, I'm sure is the same idea. Uh, very similar uh, in that approach. Uh, the Avenir Center seats 8,800. Uh, it's very much an NHL rank in miniature. I talked to Trevor Georgie about it before that game, and he had said, you know, this is it's a very impressive building. Uh, when you talk about in junior prepping players for the pros, it's playing in buildings like this that really do make a difference because the fans are right on top of you. And and on top of that, it it does look like the lower bowl of an NHL building. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a major boost for the queue to have a building like this that hosts the team. Uh, it's a major selling point for the Wildcats and also the league as a whole that it shows that the, the league is to be taken seriously in terms of attention, in terms of the market. And uh, it's been a big boom with fans. The ticket sales have been great. And uh, for the Wildcats, uh, certainly it's helped them in, in player recruitment and player retention and all that stuff that you can expect uh, in a junior market. What did you say capacity was? Uh, 8,800. Okay, is that third biggest then in the uh, in the queue, or is St. John bigger? Uh, it's third biggest. St. John is about sixty two hundred. Okay, and that uh, you, you were telling me that got a name change too. It's no longer Harbor Station. Yeah, it's no longer Harbor Station. It's now TD Station. TD stepped up and uh, helped out the Sea Dogs in the city of St. John. Uh, Harbor Station uh, was named for the train station that was on its place. Uh, but now uh, TD will take that naming rights for the next few seasons and uh, really help out again with the city and the team. Excellent. Uh, Mike, as always, a terrific uh, rundown of uh, what to expect here in the queue this year, and uh, I hope you don't mind if I uh, call you again probably sooner as opposed to later. Not at all. I always enjoy coming on here. Thanks a lot, and it's always my pleasure. No, Mike, the pleasure is mine. Always does a great job when he's on the show. That's Mike Sanderson. Uh, He writes for McKean's. And he's also uh, on the broadcast crew for the Moncton Wildcats and always provides a ton of information. And I love how the French names just roll off his tongue, being completely bilingual like that. I wish I could uh, I wish I wish could pronounce the names uh, as smoothly as he does. Let me know what your expectations for the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League this year are, who you think the favorites are, who's going to lead the league in scoring. Uh, fire those off to me on Twitter, at TPS underscore Guy. We go from the queue to the Ontario Hockey League, and uh, Brad Cogemilio from Sioux Today and Sportsnet.ca. He's the guest. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show. Hi, this is Drew Doughty of the Guelph Storm. Storm on the power play here. Teed up by Doughty. Scores! Hat-trick goal for Drew Doughty. 4-0 Guelph Storm. 
You're listening to The Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time.